0: Go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter 20. We're going to read this verse together, these two verses together. Intro us into where we are this morning, and then we'll see what God has for us today. So Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron. And the people, go into verse 3. And the people said, and the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have as broken people to gather before your holy throne and worship you. Father, I pray as we've sung about your goodness and your assurance and the value that we have in you and that you are in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would just see it, rest in it, believe in it, and all that we do and all that we stand for here this morning. Father God, Lord, we just love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Holy name. Amen. So church, as we read that this morning, you can see kind of a common theme that, you know, we've read a few other times in the book of Numbers. You know, they've been traveling, they've been moving, they've been growing. In developing through this time, you know, and last week when we talked in, in Numbers chapter 13, we kind of bled into 14 a little bit. We didn't talk so much in 14, but in 13, we saw where the children of Israel, where they were standing in a place. They sent out 12 spies into the land, the promised land that God had promised for them. They evaluated it and they said, the enemy is too great. The opposition's too much. We're not going. So because of that refusal to believe in God and to move into that direction that God had called them to, God disciplined them, and the way that He disciplined them is He told them that you would be wandering for 40 total years. At this point, when we read last week, they had been in this place for over a year or so. And He told them that you will wander for 40 years total, and that most of the generation will not enter into the promised land of God. And so where we are in chapter 20 is we are with mostly a new generation of people, almost 40. This is the first month of the 40th year that they've been traveling. And so they find themselves come to this point and... What we see here, and, and, and as I was kind of like reading and praying through this in my own personal life and what this looks like for us as a church, when we're talking about building up, growing, moving forward, what is God trying to do with this people as we progress down this journey that God has called us to? I see something here and something that happens and something that, and something that is, a, is a theme in our life. And as we've read, we've seen their failure, we've seen their struggles, we've seen their, their rebellion, we've seen all these things come up. And so they're at the end of their 40 years. Remember, the number 40 is kind of a number of purging or purification. So they're kind of at the end of that purging. They're at the end of that purification. And they come back to a location. They come back to a location. And what's funny is, this has been almost 38 and a half years. They find themselves at the exact same point that they were at when we read back in Numbers 13. Right on the edge of the promised land. The exact same place where 12 spies left and came back and 10 gave a false report or gave a report of the fear of the enemy. And so they find themselves back at a place where their past had problems. And so kind of if I had to subtitle it this morning, it would be this. For us as Christians, as we build up, as we grow, as we develop spiritually, there's something that each of us has to do in our lives. And it's this, that we have to begin a process of moving past our past. We have to begin a process of moving past our past. Because the reality is, just like these people in their process of purification, it's inevitable, it's inevitable that our past is going to find us. Our past is going to become a problem again to some degree. There's going to be these times in the process in which God has brought us that we can't run from our past anymore. You know, for a lot of us, we can run, right? We can run. Our problem isn't that we, can run, that we can't run from the things that are behind us. The problem is that we don't have the endurance or the speed to outrun it forever. That eventually those things come back. And so 38 or so years before this, they were at this place and they refused God. God, we don't want your promises because there's too much opposition there. So what happens? God says, well, you're going to go on a journey, a wandering for 40 years total, that a whole generation of people will not enter into the promised land and a new generation will come. And so where we find here, for us, In this process of building up, remember, we've tried to look at this, this study as kind of a, 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 a map for our church. Like, how, how do we want to grow and develop? And this is more, you know, not just on the, the big level of the church, but even as an individual for yourself, as you consider your own spiritual growth and development, your growth as a parent, your growth as a Christian, uh, a Christian spouse, your growth as, a, as an individual in a community, you know, we all have to face the past. We all have to face our, our past because there's these problems we can't always outrun. But what God has called us to do, and I believe what we see here, and we see these rhythms, like we've talked about the children of Israel. They're really great. Um, they're a really great uh, you know, example to look at. A lot of times in what not to do and a lot of times in our own lives we find ourselves doing those things. But we can learn. That's why God gave us His revealed Word so that we can see the nature of humanity and that as we face things we can choose to make decisions that are different. We can choose to take steps that are different. Will those steps be perfect? Absolutely not. Will we make mistakes? Will we fall? Absolutely. The Bible says that the righteous will stumble seven times but they'll get back up. Listen, so it's inevitable that those mistakes, that those sin, that those things will come. But one of the biggest things, one of the biggest deterrents and oppositions to our growth and our movement is our past. And so just like the children of Israel, there are moments as we navigate our future that our past is going to catch up. And if we've been running and running and running, inevitably we're faced with the same problems again. And so this is kind of the idea that I want us to carry through here this morning as we navigate through this text. But the idea would be this, moving past our past requires us to return to familiar places. It requires us to return to familiar places. And so we read in, verse, in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, this being the first month of the 40th year, and the people stayed in Kadesh. So Kadesh is the place where the spies left from. So 38 years before this, they were at Kadesh, right outside of Canaan, right outside the promised land. And so this is the place, the exact place where the 12 spies went out, 12 spies came back. They said, hey, there's a lot of great stuff there. There's the, the, the milk and the honey and the, the, the livestock and the, the place where things can grow and all this. But there's enemies. But there's, there's, there's too many people. It's a saturated area. Like there's no space for us. Like we're not going to be able to defeat those enemies. So they rebelled against God. They refused God's promise in that moment. God said... We're going to purify you. As a people, a whole generation of people want to enter the promised land. So now 38 years or so later, they're here in the same spot. And in verse 2, it says, Now there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron. They found themselves. And this isn't the first time this situation has happened, right? We've already read and we'll kind of reference a couple of water moments, of no water moments. So they come back to these points. They're back to this place, back where a generation before refused. They were driven by fear, driven by comfort. And just like us in our lives and just like them, a lot of times when our needs aren't met or aren't met the way we believe they should be, that's when we begin to panic and that's when we begin to be driven by what we think we need rather than what God sees for us. And so they navigated this moment. They're back to a place of their past where problems persisted. The alliteration, I love it. Where problems persisted. And they were, they had a decision to make. And what did they do? They began to panic. And it's because the enemy knows exactly how to work on us in the midst of our past, amplifying our problems to get our eyes off of him. You know, because even when 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 God and, and, and the enemy are speaking in the book of Job, the enemy says this he says, skin for skin, All that man has, he will give for his life. All that man has, he will give for his life. Satan is saying this to to God when they're having this conversation about Job. He's telling him, you test Job because Job will deny you if you take everything away from him. Because the enemy knows for the bulk of humanity, we will give up everything for comfort. We will sacrifice everything for safety. We will sacrifice everything for happiness. So the enemy knows where to attack. And so here they're back at a place from their past, facing familiar places. The enemy attacks them at their need and their comfort. And what happens? They, want to, they begin to relinquish. They begin to give up. They begin to give up on God. They begin to give up on their leadership. They begin to give up because of what they feel like is being held from them. And here the enemy knew. He knew mankind would give up everything. For the gain of something. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 16, 26. He says, you know, referencing it, for what will it profit a man? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Forfeits his identity, his spiritual identity in Christ. What does it gain us if we give up that? Or what shall man, what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, if we If we keep making the wrong choices and this is for and for them, the problem that we'll see and the problem that we can't allow ourselves to get to is if we keep making the same choices, we keep making the same. We keep giving ourselves to the same problems. We're never going to move past it, right? It's going to continue to be that problem because every time we get 10, you know, 10 miles ahead we look back to it. You know, it's, it's kind of like the story uh, when, when, when Abraham went and pulled, saved Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah and they're running, they're running away from this place that was big. It was massive. There was a lot of wealth there, all this stuff, but there was flooded with sin. And so as God is destroying it, the angels told Lot and his wife, I said, look, just run. Don't look back. Don't look back. And what happened, if you know anything about the story, as Lot has saved his nephew and his wife and they're leaving, Lot's wife looks back You know, and, and doesn't say why she looked back, but we can just speculate a little bit that maybe there was a part of that that she missed. Maybe there was a part of that in her past that she wanted. Maybe there's a part of that in her past that, that was comfortable for her, even though of the sin of it, even though of the, the problems of it. And what happened? The Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt, frozen in time right there. And I believe that's what happens for us with our sin and, our past, and our, our past problems that if we just run away from it we don't deal with it within ourselves inevitably we're going to look back to it we're going to look back and want it we're going to look back to it for comfort we're going to look back to it for safety we're going to look back to it for something and it's going to begin to freeze us in time and allow it to catch up to us facing our past in familiar spaces church it requires us to be honest about our role in it And how it affects us. And So this is how we begin to move forward. Is that we first off have to acknowledge our role in it. Be honest with ourselves. Our role in it. And how it affects us. And so if we continue on seeing. We see how they responded. They're in a past problem. They're repeating a past problem. And this is how they respond. In verse 3. And the people quarreled with Moses and said. Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Verse 4. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? Verse 5, and why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. You know, what's, what's crazy there is that they begin to complain that their history is not clear to them, and they, begin to, they choose to see it their way instead of the way it was. You know, first off, he says in verse three, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Listen, and the thing is, they had dealt with these things before. They had navigated very familiar spaces like this. But that's the thing. When we begin to face past problems and we don't deal with them, they begin to distort our vision and they, they, they blurry the history. Right. They blurry our history with God. Because in Exodus 15, we saw they had no water. What does God tell Moses? He says, hey, look. Throw the, throw the staff into the water. It's going to turn this bitter water into drinkable water. And what happens? God provides. He gives them drinkable water. In, in Exodus chapter 17, they have no water. What does God do? God tells Moses, strike that rock with, with the, your staff, and water's going to pour out of it. And so what happens? Moses strikes the rock with a staff, and water pours out and provides for the people. In Numbers 11, remember we went through this one. Numbers 11, the people complained because they didn't have meat. What did God do? God provided quail for them. More than they needed. God provided. God provided. But in the moments of need, in the moments of opposition, we begin to have a distorted history of who God is in our life. And then when we begin to move forward or deal with past problems, we forget what God can do. We forget how God has worked. We forget how God has provided. And that's the problem. They were falling back into these mindsets, lacking faith despite God's faithfulness. And they refused to remember the problem with the past. And that's where it has to be key. That's where we have to think. You know, even me in my own life. You know, there's times like we, we can think back to who we were and what we've done and where we've been. And I promise you, if you think long enough, and you probably don't even have to think that long, you can think back to moments of your past that were destroying you. And you can find something comfortable about it. You can find something that, that motivated you about it. You can find something that even made you feel happy or joyful about it. But then we have to remember the destruction that ensued because of it, right? If we're honest, those same things that in moments were providing us happiness were at the same time destroying us. And that's what they couldn't remember. That's not how they were seeing it. They refused to remember the problem with the past. And when we won't remember the problems of the past, church, we're prone to repeat them. When we won't remember the problems of the past, we're prone to repeat them. But what this does is it requires us. It requires us to acknowledge our part and its effects on our path. And this is not what they were doing because how did they respond? You know, they're in this wilderness for the, this time because of choices that they made and that the generation before them made. But that's not how they remembered it. What did they say in verse 4? They said, why have you brought? Why have you brought? They're talking to Moses in the leadership and in a sense, God. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness? Why have you brought us here? You know, we've talked about this before. What the enemy likes to do to us, likes to con- con- convince us that we're a victim, right? Likes to convince us that we're a victim. Likes to convict us, convince us that, the, that we have not done anything wrong, that it's your fault. And that's what they're doing right here. Why have you brought us here? Why have you brought us here? You brought us this way. Then in the next verse, verse five says, you ha- why have you made us? They're not taking ownership of the mistakes that they had made in their past. So they're never going to move past their past. Their past is always going to be a problem until they can acknowledge the part that they played in their past. And so for all of us, the way we navigate moving forward, dealing with things in our past that continue to catch up with us. Number one is acknowledging the part that we played and the hurt that it has caused us. They weren't in the wilderness because of what Moses did. They were in the wilderness because of what they did. They were struggling because of their own decisions. Church, when we can get to the point where we can acknowledge any struggle in our life that's sin-related or the ripple effect of sin, the moment that we can begin to acknowledge that this is the way it is because of what I've done, that is step one in taking steps away from our past. Dealing with it. Because our past is always going to be a problem until we begin to face it. And the part that we played in it. And the things that we've done. Not for shame's sake, but for, for, for moving forward. For moving beyond it. They refused to see the mistakes of the past and the part of the generation before played in it. You know, and, and, and there's something to say about that for us. You know, because generational sin is a real thing. You know, people are always a product of the culture that they're raised in. And so for a lot of people, you know, people you deal with, or people that we deal with, or maybe even you this morning, you know, we're, we navigate through a particular culture of, of people, maybe parents, grandparents, or just people that are raising us or around us, that, that have sin in their lives that they very easily pass on to the generations after. The problem for them, and the problem that we fall into sometimes, if we're not acknowledging the destruction of the generational sin, we can easily begin to inherit it. We can easily begin to take that sin on as our own and be convinced because of the people who loved me and cared for me, they did these things, then it must be okay for me, or this must be who I am. Because this generation did it, the generation before me, then I must do it too. Then it must be okay. Generational sin is a real thing. It's a carousel that we so easily can jump on, but it's much harder to jump off. But we have to begin to acknowledge those things. And that's where they were. They were falling into generational sin. They were falling back into these places that, that, that the generation before them that had almost all died off had done. Church, we will continue to jump on the carousel of generational sin until we acknowledge its true and sinful impacts. They would not accept that their situation was circumstance of their own sin. And often, church, often our own troubles, if we're honest, our own troubles are a result of our own disobedience or lack of faith. Until we face the reality, little peace and no growth will happen. You know, and, and, and this is where we have to begin to be as Christians. When we want to build up, when we want to grow spiritually, we want to continue to be the people we are. We, we know God has called us to be church. We've got to first off acknowledge, whether it's generational sin that we've inherited or our own sin that we're, we've created, acknowledge it. Acknowledge first off the part we've played in it. This is what I've done in it. This is how I've contributed to it. But then begin to acknowledge process moving forward you know and the thing about it is and, and and i love this about god and i love this about how god's word speaks is god's word never acts like the picture is always painted perfectly you know the paths that we navigate there are not perfect paths you know because even here you know, they say in verse 5, it is not a place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. That is a true statement. And we talked about this a little bit last week. But listen, the, the, the reality of it is that this place was very difficult to be in. And a lot of us are navigating very difficult spaces to live in. And so we're trying to deal with things. We're trying to navigate things on our own. But in the midst of it, we can get very distorted view of what's happening, begin to allow past problems to find themselves in our lives again, familiar spaces, and us continuing to make the same decisions, which continues to allow those past problems to live amongst us. And so it's not this place at which we just act like, oh, everything's okay, like everything's going to be perfect. No. You know, because they say, you know... Basically, like, this place is not fit for anything that gives to us. And God never one time says, hey, the land is perfect to live in. No, he says, I know the land is it's hard. I know the land is difficult. I know the land is, is robbing you of some of your happiness. I know the land is not providing for you. But God says, but I will. In the midst of those spaces that we navigate, when the world around us isn't giving us what we feel like we need... Why, and like them, why for us too often do we turn to other instances within the world to find that satisfaction? Well, God says, listen, I've already done it, and I will continue to do it. Don't forget that. And that's what they had forgotten in the midst of their problems. They forgot what God had already done. The problems were real. There's no doubt that the the terrain was hard to navigate, but the contention led to a stunted vision, right? It led to a stunted vision of what was ahead and what God could do. You know... Was the land fruitful? Absolutely not. The land was not fruit, f- fruitful. But church, we won't see the richness of God's fruit until we come through the wilderness trusting God. And for a lot of us, we go through these different wilderness phases of our life. I really think we do. If nothing else, just our life in general from beginning to end in our spiritual life, I feel like it's navigating a little bit of a wilderness. We have to constantly depend on God. As a parent, I have to constantly depend on God to lead me the way at which I should be as a as a husband, as as a as a as a leader in the church, you know, as we share speak God's word and worship and do these things, you know, there's there's so many times that we can get and like like I was saying before we sang that song, we can get in our head and we can get very much in this mindset of like Man, how are we here? Like, how are we failing? Like, how do I not have what I need for this or this or this or whatever it might be? And we can become so consumed by what we don't have that we lose sight of what we do have and what God has already done. Man, I find myself at those places so many times. And I don't know about you. Maybe you you may have it all together a lot more than I do. But man, I find myself in places so many times forgetting, forgetting what God has done. Because sometimes our past problems, sometimes our past problems take up a lot more of our vision than God's past promises fulfilled do. You know, and God's promises are so good. And they've been so much for us. We can't forget that. You know, and so the thing is, so we we need to figure out like, how do we face, how do we face these times of need? How do we face when our past problems begin to come? And then we begin to feel like we have need. And then to keep ourselves from getting off, off focus of what God is doing and what God wants to do. Church, to face times of need and fear, we've got to get down on our face before the Lord. Leaning into where He is, First Peter 2.23 says, When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to the One who judges justly love that to the one who judges justly and our God is a just God and that even when things don't make sense to us we can know and have confidence that the God of justice will make things right James 1 5 says if anyone lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given and then he continues on. So he's facing his path, these past problems. The people are facing these past problems. And so what does God begin to do? In verse 8, God tells Moses, he says, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes, tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded so Moses was given the tool to correct the issues. And this is the same tool that Moses had used time and time and time again to correct the issue. God always provides church. God will always give us those tools to deal with past problems and to get us moving forward. He will provide the tools. And maybe that's something in our personal life. Maybe that's something in the church. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a situation or circumstance. Whatever it might be, God will provide us with the tools if we be patient and begin to lean towards Him. And that's what Moses and Aaron did right before this. They went before God. There's a problem. It's a past problem that's come back. With a new group of people, a new generation of people. God, and we want to do this right. Lord, help us. What does God do? He says, hey, you already have the tools. Just use it in this way that I direct you. Church, God always sees fit to give us what we need to move past our past. God is forward-facing, looking towards redemption and recovery. That is the God that we serve. That is forward-facing. He does not use our past to hold us back. If anything, God uses our past as a projectile to push us forward. You know, and, and that's what's unique about this. You know, a, a lot of times we've focused on the negative as they've navigated this space, but so far in their 40 years of wandering, very little has been recorded about their incidents or their lack of faith. And most of it happens between Numbers 13 and Numbers 20, which is a, a pretty significant amount of time, but, you know, it's only three or four instances that is mentioned here in that 38 year period. You know, more I'm sure could have been said about their wrongdoings and what happened with the sin that's mentioned, but you know, even in the sin that's mentioned, even here, like there's no reference of God mentioning back to the mistake they had made before, to the sin that they had done before. Like there's there's no reference back. You know, God either disciplines us in the moment for growth or He provides provision for correction, all equaling to forward motion. God either disciplines us, which He does. I believe with all my heart, God will discipline us. As He did them, He disciplined them. Several of them didn't mean they weren't children of God. They just weren't moving into that next step that God had called them to. God will discipline us for growth, but or and He will provide us with the provision that we need to move forward. So what does he say? He said, take the staff. God had provided Moses with the tool he needed to accomplish the task for his glory. And we see this used over and over and over again. Exodus chapter 7 verse 9. uh, He used the staff before Moses when he threw it down and it turned into a snake, right? In Exodus 7, 19, he used it to turn the river into blood. It was one of the plagues. In Exodus 14, he used it to cross over the Red Sea by holding his hands above the Red Sea, doing it exactly how God told him to. Exodus 17, he told him to strike the stone. And what happened? Water came from the stone. You know, so remembering, as we're moving past our problems, that God provides us with the tools, or He'll provide us with the discipline, we need to move forward. God gives us, God gives us, God gives us. We've got to remember that that all comes from God. And so then continuing on, we see Moses' response. And so not only can our past problems come in situations, but our past problems can also come in different ways, okay? can also come in different ways. So verse 10, we see this, verse 10 to 11. It said, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. There's a couple things here. So our past can come back as situations that come back. The situation here is they're back at a a place that they had been before with similar problems. But our past can also creep back into our lives. The past can also creep back into our lives. Through our emotions, right? Through, Through things from within us. And we'll kind, of, we'll kind of talk about this a little bit as we, as we move down. But So for Moses, you can tell he's very frustrated right here. He t- calls them rebels, you rebels. And listen, for one, we need to understand this. It's not a wonder that he isn't frustrated. What did we read at the beginning of this chapter? That his sister Miriam died. Someone that the Bible is very clear, he loved very much. And not only that, but the people that he's been leading through the wilderness are complaining again are complaining again, it's no wonder he's frustrated. Listen, the reality is we are human beings that navigate some very frustrating times, especially dealing with church people sometimes. It is frustrating, all right? It's frustrating when we deal with our kids sometimes. It's frustrating when we deal with things at work. Listen, we can be overwhelmed with frustrations and anxiety and anger and bitterness, all of these things that want to flood our hearts and minds constantly. Listen, you could live in a constant state of those things. But the problem is, just like the past circumstances that have come back up, the problem is is if our emotions go unchecked and they begin to control us, that leads to sin and that leads us to missing what God has for us. Which is exactly what would happen to Moses. Because right after this, the Bible tells us, Moses, and we'll kind of talk more about the specific issue, but he tells him, Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. The only people who will are Caleb and Joshua. You and Aaron will not enter the promised land. You know, and it doesn't make Moses any less of a great leader because he was. But the thing we have to understand is that leaders aren't perfect. You know, and the thing about it, there's kind of two things to this. Because for one, we have to understand that there are leaders that could be doing the wrong things and the people still being provided for. Because what happens? He does. Remember, God told him, he said, speak to the rock. What did Moses do? He struck the rock twice in anger. His emotions got the best of him and they drove him. Listen, there can be, and what happened? Water came out and provided for the people and in the, in the livestock. It is very possible for leaders that seem to be doing things right can do things that provide for the people and be doing them against God's commands. It is possible. What happened? He did in disobedience and rebellion to what God told him to and the people were still provided for. It is very possible. There are churches all over this world where people are being fed by God's provision despite leaders' failures. So listen, number one, that. Number two, Moses is a human being that has failed. People's problems cannot and will not rob us of God's promises if we'll continue to lean on Him. Listen, there's not a leader that you'll ever sit in front of that is perfect. You know me. I constantly tell you, I am not that guy. I've I've been under people that thought they were that guy and now I know where those guys are you know I'm not that guy I'm not that perfect perfect elder I'm not that perfect pastor Garen is not that perfect elder perfect pastor no man who ever stands up here is a perfect preacher they aren't they don't exist you know what they're typically overworked underpaid they give too much they they sacrifice too much family time they do all these things only to eventually fail listen I'm not perfect I'm never going to pretend like I am Because most of those times, they can't be vulnerable. They can't have it all together. Listen, I'm not that guy. If the church ever gets to a point where they want that guy, they're going to have to find somebody else. I'm not that guy. I'm not perfect. Don't depend on me. I'm going to let you down. I'm not going to be there when you need me. I'm not going to have the answers when you want it. I'm not going to have the perfect things to say. I'm not going to have the perfect voice when I'm the only one, you know, with sometimes when it's just me, thank God I had a crew this morning, but sometimes it's the Jake show and my voice cracks or my voice is sore. I run out of breath. Just be honest. Sometimes for some reason I suck in too much air. So I like burp in the middle of singing. It's like this weird thing that happens. Like I'm not perfect. Like I've got weird breathing patterns. I don't know what it is, but I'm not that guy. Because I could very easily have my Moses moment at any moment. Because life is frustrating. Life is frustrating. But the thing we can do, and for me and for any of us, because just like for Moses, it seems like a pretty strict punishment that he wouldn't go into the promised land. The reality is anybody who stands up here before you is accepting a responsibility that's bigger than them. You know, I'm 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 not saying that that's not a reality. But don't put your eternal stake in people. Put your eternal stake in God and be there for each other. That's the most important thing that we can do. People's promises aren't removed. God's promises aren't removed because of people's problematic behavior. Listen, emotions are not a sinful thing, but if they control us and direct us, then they become sinful. Moses was frustrated. He was driven by emotion. And what did that emotion do? Listen, unchecked emotion will lead us to sin, will lead us to rebellion if we don't acknowledge it. God told him, he said, Speak to the stone and water will come out. What did Moses do? He struck it twice. He struck it twice. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but in the moment it says he's before their eyes. He's before the eyes of the people. People are watching. People are seeing. People Notice. And so what did he do? He disobeyed. He did, he, did, he did it his own way. And not only that, but he acknowledged. He said that uh, in, in verse 11, he said, Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock uh, Or before that. He said, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? So not doing it God's way made it Moses' way. And so it didn't point everything to God anymore. It pointed everything at Moses. This is what we can't do as people and this is what leaders can't do because we can't make it about us. If we begin to do things opposite of what God calls us to, we begin to point to ourselves. And so for us, even as like parents or or spouses, the moment we begin to live life and do things the way we want it, separate from God, is the moment we begin to point to ourselves and not God anymore. But when we constantly, constantly are leaning into the Lord and saying, Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you in this, I need you to provide in this, I need you to lead in this. You know, in Moses, he had a history of anger. We can see that through Scripture. Exodus two eleven through twelve, we see he killed an Egyptian and tried to hide it. He was mad. He was angry. Exodus eleven four through eight, when he's having a conversation with with uh, with Pharaoh, Bible tells us in this moment that he leaves in hot anger. I mean, I can just imagine. You know, the, how angry he had to have been. I, I, I may have. I have. May have had moments of hot anger. You know, I just imagine that anger to the max, right? So he's angry. He's at his, has a history of anger. Exodus thirty-two nineteen it says Moses was angry about the golden calf to the point that he just he broke the stones that had the Ten Commandments on it that God had just given him. Anger leads us unchecked emotions in any capacity, whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's some kind of empty search for happiness, like. Those unchecked emotions will lead us. Even love, unchecked, can lead us. Can lead us into sin. Can lead us into rebellion. Listen, Moses had a past that kept coming back. And listen, our past will either come back in moments or it'll come out in emotions. The reality for both of those things is we begin to acknowledge them. We begin to deal with them. begin to point them out and begin to take steps. And so how do we, and then we'll end with this, how do we deal with unchecked emotions and begin to take steps forward in our lives to deal with past problems? So these four things right here. The first thing is prayer. We cannot underestimate prayer in our life. You know, the reality is this. You know, in um, I don't know if I have it in this Bible or not. Yeah, it's this Bible. I read a quote one time that said this: "said The reality is, my prayers don't change God." but I am convinced that prayer changes me. Because what we do when we begin to pray is we begin to line ourselves up with the mindset of God. You know, God's going to do what God's going to do. And so our prayer isn't necessarily to change what God is doing, but it's to line ourselves up with where God's at and what God wants to do with our lives and through us and in us. And so when we are navigate problematic pasts or when we're navigating emotional things that begin to kind of wield us and, and begin to mold us, man, As we begin to pray and ask God, you know, we think about even the Lord's prayer, like your will be done. Like that constant, like giving up of our own ambitions, right? God, it's yours. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Like let it be you, God. But turning to prayer, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So not only prayer, but the second thing being this, that we need people. Get people in your life to counsel you. Give people in your life that if you have problematic pasts that keep coming, that you find people that you can lean in with and be like, man, this is something that just will not let go of me. Have those conversations with somebody you trust. And listen, I know it's hard to trust people, but I heard a pastor say one time, he said, I would rather... I would rather, out of being naive, trust someone, be honest with them. Out of you know, and and even if there was the fear that they were going to tell someone else, that it's still more beneficial to unload those things and less damaging than even if somebody tells. I mean, if somebody tells, then they tell. But and I get it, people are hard to trust. But we can't let our fear of trusting people keep us from finding people that we lean on. That's what we're here for. That's what we're navigating this for, this life. So find people, Proverbs 2018, one of my favorite verses on this. Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Listen, we get that guidance from each other. We get that guidance from having people in our lives that really care about they care about it. They're not envious of us. Like, and you know those people. Like, you can find those people in your life you just have a connection with. Like, these people care about me. Like, they love me. Like, they want to see me succeed. They want to see my family succeed. Like, Those are the kind of people that you need to keep close. Because those people are going to be there no matter what. No matter if you disappoint them. No matter if you fail. No matter what happens, those people are going to be there. Those are the people you need to be leaning in with in your life and in your Christian life that help you navigate your problematic past and the emotions that try to control us. And the third thing is this, promptness. Promptness, deal with it quickly. We can't linger on it. We can't just allow past problematic sins to linger with us and we can't allow unchecked emotions to just be a part of our everyday life. We've got to deal with it. Like don't, don't just keep putting it, putting it off, but be prompt with it. Do it quick. Don't put it off. Don't let it linger. Ephesians 4.26 and speaking specifically about anger, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You know, I love that, that, that Paul acknowledges there, like, listen, anger is a real thing. You know, like, you're going to be angry. You're going to have emotions that come up, and not all emotions are bad, but it's the way those emotions guide us. And he says there, He says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, this is a, this is a verse that we've even applied in our marriage. It's like, I don't want to go to bed mad. Like, I don't want us to go, like, we've had an issue or something. Like, let's not let's not let the sun go down, and a day pass without dealing with it. And every unchecked emotion or every emotion, if we don't deal with it properly and we let it linger, then it be- becomes a part of our like wiring, right? We just let it be there. But deal with it. Talk about it. Navigate it. And then the fourth thing is this. Pattern. Prayer, people, promptness, and the last thing being a pattern. And it would be this, that we would create a pattern of forgiveness. Because I really believe, I really believe most of our problematic past involves either lack of forgiving someone in our past or lack of forgiving ourselves for our past. We've got to create patterns of forgiveness. That's going to help us navigate through issues of bitterness and anger. That's going to help us, you know, like, like with Moses. Moses was angry. He was angry at these people. And like we said, understandably. But his emotions controlled him into disobedience and rebellion. For us, if we can have moments where we begin to establish patterns of forgiveness. You know, I love C.S. Lewis said, he says, I forgive the inexcusable in others because God forgave the inexcusable in me. Like, it's one of my favorite quotes. But when we create patterns of forgiveness, it allows us to deal with our problematic past and our emotions better. Because like I said, if, if it's either somebody from our past, if we refuse to forgive someone in our past, guess what? I've always heard it said like this. It's like allowing someone to live in an apartment in your mind that they don't pay for. Right? When we have anger and bitterness towards someone in our past, we just let them live in our minds rent free. So we never escape that. We don't ever escape the situation that happened. We never escape the hurt of it. We never escape the disappointment of it. Whatever it might be, we never escape it. But also maybe it's ourselves, forgiving ourselves for things we've we've done in our past. If we refuse to forgive ourselves for something we've done in our problematic past, then we will constantly be living with the problem. Man, if God's forgiven us, who are we to not forgive ourselves? Forgive yourself and move on. Forgive ourselves and begin to take steps. That's easier said than done, I understand, and, and even for myself I have that. He says, forgive ourselves and move on. Matthew 6.12, he says, and forgive us in this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us. Let's forgive others. Moses didn't trust God in this moment. Listen, and the band can come up, and we're going to end with some worship about God's faithfulness, but I want to end with this. That Moses allowed unchecked anger, unchecked anger, and a problematic past for his people. Control is environment. Church, let us not be those people let us not be those people. Let us be a people that actively pray about who God is and what God can do in our lives. And listen, this is not a a one and done. Like This is something that we'll have to constantly live and work through. This is a place at which the enemy is going to constantly bring things to us. Our past is always our past, and our past is never going away. But the difference is, is our past going to continue to be our problem, or is our past going to be our platform to stand on and to say, God has done this in my life, and now this This isn't a problem for me, but this is now a platform for me to look back and say, this is what God did. This is who God is. This is how God provided. This is how God has leaned in. You know, and that's what the rock in this moment was supposed to be. This was supposed to be this continual reminder about how God provides, but because of Moses' anger, it it, it overshadowed that moment. Because even though they had to keep going back to this rock, for provision, They had to go back to the rock for provision and, and, and for God to give and for God to give His promises and God to provide in this moment. Jesus Christ has been provided to us as the rock, as the well that will never run dry. And the Bible mentions this and I love this illustration, this connection. 1 Corinthians 10.4, he says, And all drank the same spiritual drink and for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. That Christ is that rock that has been struck for us to be fed from, for us to be provided for, for the rescue, for the redemption to pour out for us has come through Jesus. And so just like for them, as they navigated problematic paths, they pr- navigated their own sin, what did God do? God provided a rock for them. As we navigate our future, as we navigate our struggles, God has provided a rock for us in Christ Jesus to be rescued, to be provided for, to be fulfilled. John seven thirty seven on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is where our provision comes from. Jesus is where our solution to problems from our past comes from. Jesus is where all of it comes, culminating into a success where we find Him. Where we find the staff that we need to do the work that we need to do. That God gives us the tools that we need to grow and to move beyond our problematic past, our problematic emotions, our problematic issues and move in the direction He's called us to. We find that in Jesus in Hebrews 10:10, 10, 10, 10 through 12. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but Christ, but Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and he sat down at the right hand of God. Church, Christ has provided us with the rescue that we desperately need. Christ has given us. Everything to move past problematic pasts. To move past these emotions that control us. And so this is our prayer this morning is that we begin to acknowledge what are the problematic past issues that we need to face. I've been running too long. And number two, what are the unchecked emotions that begin to get the best of me sometimes? And then the last thing is this, to pull them all together. What tools has God provided me with or is He providing me or am I utilizing to deal with these things? Am I praying? Am I leaning on people? Am I establishing patterns of prayer? I mean, and forgiveness. Am I am I being prompt in how I acknowledge and deal with the sin and the problems of my past and the things that I'm navigating now? How are we dealing with that? So as we as as you stand with me this morning, as we worship, I want you to consider these things and pray with me here as we join together in worship. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for the truths of your word. God, we thank you for what only you can give and what only you can provide. God, I pray that you would just lead us, Lord, direct us into the spaces that you would have us go. God, as broken people in desperate need of better things, God, has broken people with with problematic pasts, Lord, with with emotions that sometimes can be unchecked, God, I pray that You would just lead us. Lead us to confidence. Lead us to growth. Lead us to what we need. Help us to know that You've provided us with the tools that we need for the rescue and redemption that You've called us to. Father God, we are broken people in desperate need of You, God. And I just pray for Your blessing and Your work in this moment. Lord, we love You and thank You and praise You in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Church, sing with this